0: The Twisted Claw, a series of museum thefts, launched the Hardy Boys on this baffling mystery. Rare collections of ancient pirate treasure are being stolen. Who is doing it? And how is this loot being smuggled out of the United States? Frank and Joe's celebrated detective father is working on the case and asks the boys to stake out the Black Parrot, a suspicious freighter docked, in Bayport Harbor. Disguised as crewmen, the teenage sleuths board the ship, determined to investigate its cargo holds. Clues that the boys unearth take them on a whirlwind chase after the self-styled Pirate King, a case that leads to their imprisonment in a fantastic Caribbean island stronghold of the Empire of the Twisted Claw. How Frank and Joe cleverly outmaneuver the Pirate King and his cohorts makes a gripping tale of suspense and high adventure. They pass out because of lack of fresh air, but then they wake up later. Which I'm like, no. That's not how lack of fresh air works. Like, when you pass out from lack of oxygen, you usually don't wake up again, right? (laughs) Especially... still in the cargo holds, (laughs) right? (laughs) With the door, like, closed. But they get a second wind somehow. It's 2019 and everyone gets a podcast. Mine is the Hardy Boys Drink Book. Each week, I sit down with creative and hilarious people to talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. Today, I'm joined by actor Brian Cusick, and we're reading the 18th book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series, The Twisted Claw. Get framed for museum vandalism, start a rebellion, and get on and off an airplane a million times in the Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast number 18, The Twisted Claw, featuring Brian Cusick. Hello, detectives. Welcome to the podcast. I am here with actor Brian Cusick. Brian, thank you so much for finally being on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. I, uh... I could not have hoped for a better book to have on the show. A lot of people may not know this, but I uh, did a children's series with Buntport Theater for All Ages for several years called uh, Siren Song, A Pirate Odyssey. And Brian was one of my favorite recurring actors. I had, I think I had three parts. I was uh, Crazy Beard uh, Cruel Boots. Yes. And then I was the Earworm. And then your most famous role. Uh, I mean, the one that really put me on everyone's list was Toots, God of Recorders. God of Recorders. And, uh, I have been waiting for pirates to appear in the Hardy Boys for uh, 18 books. We were finally on book 18 and they finally showed up. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. They're like pirate knights, though. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of crossover here. It doesn't seem like they've quite figured out their theme, but they are definitely... I mean, there's ships, there's uh, being locked in the brig... There's uh, a Caribbean island nation that's ruled by a mad king They got all the pirate stuff going Yeah, there. a bunch of uh, private jets they chartered, you know, really late So one thing I'd kind of like to do, since I didn't do it when I read the book Is I'd kind of like to keep track of how many times they fly in an airplane in this book Okay Because like, okay. it takes place over the course of a week And I think they travel on like 11 or 12 different flights in yeah. the course of a week Yeah, like midnight flights, morning flights Yeah, it's absolutely crazy A little bit about the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. The Hardy Boys Mystery Series was originally written by Franklin W. Dixon, better known as the inventor of glitter. Yes. uh, In the 1920s and 30s, and then in the 50s and 60s, the books were rewritten. They had about 100 pages taken out of the adventure, and some things were changed. And one of the things that was changed that you mentioned to me um, was how rich the boys are. Yeah. In the original books, they're not quite as wealthy, and more it seems like more of the books were focused on them overcoming their lack of resources. So, not in this book. Uh, so it's like a lot of local mysteries yes, like local. where are my keys? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't find my cat. Stolen bicycles. <laughs> things like that. Um but in this one, the boys have infinite money. Yeah. It's like they've entered that code in the video game where they have infinite money. They there's no time restraint on their movement across the world. Nope. They can charter flights out of Miami, out of the Caribbean. They have a private plane. Yeah, it's really it's, nice. if yeah, the private plane that they don't always use, but it's there if they need it, just in case. Brian, what was your first impressions of this? Have you read a Hardy Boys book before? This is actually the first Hardy Boys book I've ever read. Um, Did it live up to your expectations of what was in a Hardy Boys book? You know, the only expectations I had were really from South Park. Okay, um, which is a lot. You're not of... the first guest on the house to mention. Yeah, that. It, it was pretty close to that. A lot of clues, a lot of yes. you know, hunches, um, a lot of feelings about this area as opposed to this area is really close relationship between brothers yes they're not rivals in any way no they're not um the best example of this and i i think that this is the book that i have talked about more outside of the podcast than (laughs) any other book in the series and this first chapter i have laid out for so many people i'm just gonna walk through it really short it starts with them at a track meet and they both just won gold medals right they're both the top of their, like, tier. Because they're not racing against each other. No. They're right. in different, um, <laughs> they're in different events, I guess, at the track meeting. Mm-hmm. They talk to Chet, and they all agree that they're going to meet up with their friends and go to the soda fountain, and they go back and they say, we're going to go grab the other guys and we'll come back and get you, Chet. Right. And then as they're getting, going to get the other guys to go to the soda fountain, there's an announcement over the speaker at the stadium Telling them that they have a phone call from their house. Again, just unlimited money. Uh, yeah. And, so, and I just love the idea of over the loudspeaker, like those little triangular speakers. Just, J- Frank and Joe Hardy, please report to the operator booth. You have a phone call. And that means that since it's their dad on the phone, neither their parents went to their high school track meet where they're track stars that win gold medals. Yeah, their parents are really busy. Yeah. yeah. And, well, clearly, Laura's really got a busy. lot going on. Yeah, I think she showed up once. Once in on the book. <laughs> but so they, they were like, oh, their dad calls them and they says, you need to come home right away. And they race home. But they never check back in with Chad. No, they just leave him. They do yeah. a lot of that in this book. Yeah, just, just leaving Chad. They just leave Chad. So I just imagine him standing there alone looking at his watch being like, guys, guys, are you coming? They should be back any minute. <laughs> when they get home, their dad tells them that they need to go to the dock and watch a boat all night. But he won't tell him why. Yeah, that seems like really specific. He's like, you go, you watch this boat. Tell me anything that happens. I can't give you more information. And the boys are fine with that. Yeah, thanks, Dad. But then Laura, their mother, comes into the room. She seems, I think that she's got a tremendous Valium addiction. Because she like floats into <laughs> the room on a wave of just total calm. And she's like, there's a man across the street watching the house. He's hiding behind a tree but he keeps poking his head out and I can tell he's watching the house. Right. Automatically, I'm like, that's a stupid crook. Yeah, I also feel like those... Because there's two men watching the house. Yes. Like, one in front and one in back. And I have a feeling that they are not connected to these pirates at all. They're no. just kind of creepy They don't ideas, seem to have right? anything to do with the rest of the mystery. They don't Adam. really come back. No, you they know? Like it's there's just no... Like, oh, people aren't watching the house anymore. That's a plus. But they're, the way that they... That Fenton deals with... The guy's watching the house is incredibly elaborate. Yeah. Um, Joe wants to just go beat up the guy watching the house, which I think is valid. Yeah, Joe's always about beating people up. It's like, like again, I don't know the Hardy Boys, but it seems like Joe is gonna run into some tough situations real soon. Yes, especially when he doesn't have his brother with him to be like, "Well, hold back, Joe." Yeah, like, don't just—he's gonna fight him. the wrong person. Yes, though the boys have super strength. Like, throughout this book and all the other books. I've noticed. They're very strong boys. Yeah, and apparently very fast, as we learned in the first two pages. Yes, they're track stars. Um, But, so Fenton's like, no, 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 we won't go beat him up. Instead, I'm going to call a plumber. And the plumber comes over, and he's like, now the plumber and I are similar builds. So I'm going to put on like a full putty makeup disguise he trades clothes with the plumber the plumber has no problem with this right and it's very fine and also the full putty disguise happens in like half a paragraph yeah, it's exactly like exactly. oh he looks like him now <laughs> no, he looks just like him and then he goes outside he gets in the plumber's van he drives away and then he goes to the airport and he leaves town Yeah, And I just imagine, he never clears that part of it with the plumber. Like, I'm going to take your van and drive to the airport. No, and they don't have cell phones to be like, hey, by the way, I'm uh, taking your van to the airport. So later the boys are like, hey, our dad took your van to the airport, we'll give you a ride. Which then I think that that's a dead giveaway, right? Because then they they see the plumber leave the house again. Or they see the plumber dressed as Fenton Hardy leave the house and go to the airport. Which is what Fenton Hardy actually did. Yeah. it was Maybe really the weird. plumber put on a bunch of prosthetics as well That they didn't talk about Because they <laughs> just figured we'd gather it <laughs> Yeah, it seems a very elaborate scheme As yes. opposed to being like Hey, guy, get out of here Yeah. Then, yeah. Um, right? What are you doing here? But I do like how we meet uh, We meet Aunt Gertrude And when she sees her brother in a disguise And the plumber She can't tell them apart She's. It's supposed to be her brother, right? Yeah <laughs> Um, Gertrude's an interesting character throughout the entire book. She seems... Do you want to talk a little bit on Gertrude? Well, she seems at times a little bit more motherly than anyone, than their mother. Yes, their mother is checked out. At other times, she seems a bit on edge for no reason. She's very high strung. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. So they go down to the docks that night and they're told that they're supposed to just watch this boat. They watch it for like 30 seconds, and then and they're they're like, Let's go on board. Yeah. It's like, let's do this. Yeah, I'm tired of waiting around. We're not learning anything from God, over here. it's been like five minutes. We should probably sneak on board. We won't be able to get much information for Dad unless we can board the ship. Joe remarked. Frank did not speak. Instead, he signaled Joe to follow him and walked towards a crewman who was standing at the base of the gangplank checking the manifest. My brother and I are very much interested in ships. Frank began nonchalantly. Do you think your captain would let us go aboard for a few minutes? The man glared at them in surprise. Get out of here! He roared. Why get mad at us? Joe queried. We were just- You heard me? Get out of here before I take a club to you! Which is- This is one of the most rational responses that the boys have ever received from a person. Yeah, I just—I'm also really interested in the seaman slash pirate that carries a club with him all the time. Yes, and a clipboard. Yeah, he's got—he's <laughs> checking the manifest with his club. With like his he's club, lying, okay. going down the lines with his club. Yeah, and then they—they they hire the boys. Let's see. The boys come back in just a few minutes and are like, "Hey, can we have a job?" And they're like, "Oh, you look pretty strong. Sure." And then Frank asks for union cards. I mean, if you're going to work as a longshoreman, you've you got to be part of the union, right? And then the guy says, forget the union, sketchy. Yeah, that's how you know they're pirates. But also, like, it seems like a lot of paperwork would have to go through before they could get their union cards. I'm also just really intrigued on being able to go to a dock and within a matter of moments getting a job. As a 17-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have trouble finding work right now as a not seventeen-year-old. But are you going down to the Denver docks and <laughs> trying? You know, to... I try. The security there is really <laughs> tough to get through. Yes. So uh, last time is. I was at the Denver docks, I mean, I just couldn't get through the gates. Yes, absolutely. I, they noticed that the one of the guys on the ship has a very, like, clearly significant ring. And they notice it so much it seems like they like grab the guy's hand like a girl hold, looking at yeah, it. hold it for a bit too long, <laughs> like her, her friend like a girl looking at her friend's engagement ring. also, I think there's several people that wear rings. there's married people, there's like you know mm-hmm. Eastern Masons. Europeans that, sure. <laughs> you know, and then apparently pirates pirates all have a signet ring as well, yeah, and then Chet, let's see, they get thrown they they get mm-hmm. in a fight, right. I yes. can't remember why they get thrown off the ship. Because Joe's always running his mouth. Joe is just That's like right. constantly pushing fights. He He's actively picking a fight. And then he feels bad. He's like, I definitely messed things up. But Chet shows up and Chet's uncharacteristically brave all of a sudden. Like drunk brave. Is Chet usually not the bravest of he's the, the... He's the shaggy of the group. He's oh, the one who's like, let's get out of here. Uh, yeah, this this book, he's like, can I come? Can I come, please? And yes. they're like, yeah, sure. And then two pages later, like, Chet, stay here. Yes, they're, they're <laughs> very finicky with Chet. But he shows up and immediately is like, I'll go talk to those, those seamen and see what's up. And he goes up the gangplank. And then I imagine like a cartoon-style cloud of punching. Yeah. And then he comes rolling down. It says, like a beach ball. Yeah, Chet, he like, he's really having a rough time in these books. <laughs> yeah, later... His current uh, interest in this book is archaeology, which comes through you know three quarters of the way through. Yeah, and and has no payoff. You think they'd set up one of those things like Chet's really into archaeology, and later that pays off because he dug something up, or the his dig site connected to a tunnel that the you know I was or, really hoping he found something of use, but he but really he, just he does it's no, it's nothing. It's just a oh Chet yeah. I don't, uh, let's see, they completely screw this up. And the ship is called the Black Parrot. There's two ships, the Black Parrot and the Yellow Parrot. Yeah, the Red Parrot sank a few years ago. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. No, it's still a touchy subject. It's like the Essex. I can't remember why. Oh, the, when they get home, that's right, their dad. They, um, oh yeah, they they put on disguises before they go to the shipyard, right? Yeah, no, I think this is later. Okay. I think this disguises come after they decide to... Try to board the ship again. That's right. They go home and they, yeah. they're like, "That didn't work." Oh, so disguises. What? We need piracy stuff. Dad. So we'll dress like like pirates and then sneak back onto the ship. Why do they need to be on the ship? They don't know. Their dad <laughs> has given them no clues about it. Their anything. dad just told them to watch the ship. Right, but they think to watch something is better to be on it. Yeah. Right. So they get all they're like let's they decide they're going to disguise themselves in the car because they don't want their mother and Aunt Gertrude to see them and uh no to see them putting on disguises. Yeah, right? exactly. like it's not to see them. They walk in with, and then walk out with like arms full of clothes. <laughs> Bye, and mom. Bye, Gertrude. And then I imagine in the driveway while their mom can see them. Okay, now we can put it on. Cool. Do I look like an old man? No, you look like a teenager dressed like an old man, but sort of a piratey seaman old man. Don't they get there and the black parrot is like gone at the dock? There's some point where they show up and they're all prepared to sneak on board, and the ship is just gone, but it comes back really fast. Um, their dad decides that they need to get a book. All. And this is the most random thing. This is the first time I was like, oh, they have a private jet? And it's, I don't think it is a jet. It's probably a, a biwing wing or something. Yeah, but, They have a private pilot, at least. Yeah, and out of left field, he's like, go pick up this book. And they're like, oh, we must go to New York City. Let's call our pilot we have on retainer. Jack Wayne. <laughs> One thing I really liked is that they're like, he's like, hey, where's your dad at? And they're like, oh, he flew to Miami. And he's like, he, he what? He's... Oh, he's got a... Does he have another pilot? They're like, no, he did a commercial. I was like, oh, cool. So oh. I'm just, all right. I, I mean, I guess I'm sitting with this plane for no reason. Yeah. I can't. Did he forget that he had a pilot? I was like, yeah, I think the writer did forget that he had a pilot. I mean, he, also, it's really hard to get refunds from Southwest, especially That's to Miami. That's true. He's so. already booked it, so. Um, they decide, yeah, they're going to fly to New York to get a book called Essays in Criminology by Weaver. But yeah, I just can't believe that he was willing to fly the teenage boys to New York City. But I guess they're in up, upstate, so I mean. But start. also, if I had a private jet, why are we not flying everywhere? Yeah, like, exactly. why didn't they fly you know, me to school in the morning? I, yeah, they should have gotten a ride back from the track meet on their <laughs> airplane. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's see. They found. Um, they find this book. They this book is just I don't know what the plot element of this book is. It never comes up again. It was just so that they could see the book that's next to it on the shelf. Right. Which is called The Empire of the Twisted Claw. And that's when I was first like, oh, that seems important. Hence the name being The Twisted Claw. So this is, yes, absolutely. Which, there is no real actual Twisted Claw in this book. No, it's just like a A ring and a book and something that's on their breastplates. Uh, This, most of this chapter is just the story of pirates um, and about this pirate king named Kartal who discovered an island um which discovered should you know in quotes because there's definitely people on that island they make that clear later much like it's like oh he discovered that i think he just like sailed by and was like that's it i discovered i discovered discovered now waved at all the people who lived there (laughs) you're discovering you too (laughs) congratulations you've been discovered welcome to the world yeah and apparently this guy came up with an elite personal guard That each had a full suit of armor, perfect for when you're on the high seas. I mean, if you have a sinking ship, (laughs) you really want to be in a full suit of armor. Full suit of armor. And apparently the breastplate, yeah, has this twisted claw image on it. They wanted to find out where the island is located. And they're like, if we can take this book to our crime lab, maybe we can look at these faded pages and get more information. And they tried to get the owner to just give them this valuable book. And he says it's like $1,500 or something. And they're like, like, could we take it for like two days and just like run some tests on it? Like, No, I know what your tests are. <laughs> Get <laughs> you're out of dip here. Get in, out of here. You're going to dip it in chemicals and shine weird lights Yeah, because they don't it. have scanners to like bring <clears> things out. Nope, they're just literally going to like treat the pages with chemicals and shine ultraviolet light out All it. those hardy boys. I'm glad that the owner didn't give them the book.
1: They I am ruined too. It.
0: I'm also glad that someone said no to them at some point. It is interesting how often people just cooperate and they make friends with the one person who overheard something just randomly yes things are so convenient i've always i like i really want to adapt this i really want to film this absolutely beat for beat and keep all of the unreasonable like people who help them and clues they find that they shouldn't have found I mean, I would be really willing to play all of the random strangers yes. that have all the information they just happen to need at that time. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Particularly the pirate or the old sailor that comes near the end. He's oh. my favorite. Yes. He He's was literally re- half a page. <laughs> and then it's like, well, see you later. <laughs> they, um, they hear on the radio, or no, they read in the paper that the Black Parrot, the ship they were going to sneak onto... Had engine troubles and is returning to the Bayport Harbor for repairs. And I was like, "That's in the paper." This this paper that they're receiving is has the best journalism I've <laughs> ever heard. Yeah, I mean, only pertaining to what they need. But yeah, it's targeted towards the Hardy Boys. It's really interesting. Really I was like, wondering, like, how big is your staff? Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, some guy is just on monitoring ship traffic from. He's the, the, the dock reporter. Dock <laughs> reporter. Yeah, so they put their disguises back on. And they decide they're going to go, and they decide Chet should come with them. And keep watch, basically do what their job was. Yeah, as they go break into another place. In silly disguises. (laughs) I mean, I was really, if I could get onto every ship like that, I would be a lot happier. Yeah, I would just disguise myself as like, like a 70 year old man And go on cruises And be like I don't know where my ticket I've is I've lost my ticket <laughs> Yeah Oh no. my! My wife's on She has the tickets don't and then I they're like well, my just, wallet Just June. go can, on board Fine Can you give me some money Before I <laughs> yeah, go on Yeah here's some money <laughs> Thank you Did it again Joe Because <laughs> Joe is like The, <laughs> the wife <laughs> yeah. When When they A guy sees them on board He says to them I ain't seen you guys Aboard before And then it says Frank mumbled in double talk. Do you know what that means? No, do you know what well, that? Well, means? well, I was got. Well, here's what. So the thing is, is ah, oh, ah, and double talk. Double you know, talk. you say nothing but everything. And then rather than be like, wait, what? The guy's like, well, you better check it with the first mate. And they're like, we'll do. And then they don't. I mean, well, they are like seamen slash pirates. So that's true. I'm sure a lot of double talk occurs on those ships. Then, <laughs> yeah, kind of Popeye sounding. Uh gibbering. They go down into the cargo hold. They're really good at sneaking around this ship. Ships are usually pretty cramped. Especially if they're loading things up. I feel like a (laughs) lot of people would be going into the cargo hold. (laughs) Right? But they get in there, and I really like how they get inside, and somebody walks by and is like, Why is this open? and closes it. This shouldn't be open. Like, oh (laughs) we should have thought about that. (laughs) And also that the cargo hold. Doesn't have a a handle on the inside of it. No, why would it? It's like a walk-in freezer for (laughs) murder. And then, of course, the ship, they feel it start up and start to leave port. Which, I think that was the moment when they should have banged on the door and been like, Oh, whoops, we're going to get stuck in here. No, but they had to find clues. That's true. They don't in the cargo hold, though, right? Not in this cargo hold. No. Or really any of them. Any of the cargo holds. (laughs) The next chapter has the best chapter title of any Hardy Boys book ever. The chapter title is Good Old Chet. Oh, Good Old Chet. Good Old Chet. They pass out because of lack of fresh air. But then they wake up later. Which I'm like, no. That's not how lack of fresh air works. Like, yeah. when you pass out from lack of oxygen, you usually don't wake up again. Right? Especially... still in that, the cargo holds, right? With the door like closed. But they get a second wind somehow. They do really the only thing they can do, which is alert the crew to their presence. Yeah, they're trapped in a room with no oxygen until it all of a sudden has oxygen again, and they don't try to find out where that new burst of air came from. No, it was probably the window they could have gone out of. Right? <laughs> oh, there is a window. <laughs> but a guy comes in and is, is, you know, hey, what are you, what are you doing in here? And it's so odd in the cargo hold that all their makeup and disguise. Has just just like slopped off on the floor. So when he opens it, he's like, why are there teenage boys wearing makeup in here? What are you (laughs) You kids doing, huh? And at no point thinks like, oh my God, what crew member kidnapped these boys wearing makeup and put them in the cargo I mean, that seems like the most logical thing. Yeah. Some crew member had a plan. To kidnap some teenage boys. Yeah, (laughs) ransom. That's what they should have said. Um, but yeah, I love that they're wearing like eyeliner and like I imagine just heavy stage makeup. All of the sailors are like, "Oh, that rock and roll, <laughs> it's really <laughs> causing <laughs> trouble. Yes. But yeah, they uh, they get brought to the captain and they're told like, "Hey, these are the kids that we saw and we threw off the boat like earlier in the story." And he de- they demand they let him off the ship, which just I'm like, you're setting him up for it, friend. You know, they demand a lot of things of a lot of people. Yes, and yeah. I just really can't wait till they graduate from college and someone's like, no, you can't have this job. Or no. And they're I like, not. I feel like they're going to end up like the um, like the guy from Catch Me If You Can. Where if they're told that they can't have a job as a doctor, they just steal somebody's credentials yeah, and, pretend and to like, be start a doctor performing surgery. Yeah. <laughs> like, look, I'm a hardy boy, okay? There's sure nothing I-, I can't do. <laughs> this chest needs to be opened. I don't need a knife. <laughs> Oh we're really strong. Yeah. Absolutely. They're so, so strong, but they can't beat all these pirates. So I can't so they, they get put under they get put to work, right? Yeah. Uh apparently with stowaways, you make them work and feed them little. Yeah. But for sure don't pay them, or kick them off your ship at the next port. Yeah, they have they have actually really good, like, plausible deniability here where if they pull into port and there's no teenage boys and they're like we have reports that were teenage boys on the ship. They'd be like, Search the ship. We've got teenage workers that yeah. we've been <laughs> enslaving for the past several days. And the the thing is that they jump from kidnapping to slavery like without missing a beat. Yeah. They don't yeah. even they don't bat an eye at it. They're go they find out that they're going to a place in the Canadian coast, that that's the next stop for the ship. And their plan is all right, when we get kind of near shore, we're gonna jump off the ship. Which would normally work, but the the crooks, while not being brilliant, aren't absolute idiots because the captain the night before is like, oh, and lock them up because they're going to try to jump off the boat as soon as we get right. close to shore. The captain can see a few things coming. Yes. But he's not smart enough to just kill them, which no, they're never, the crooks are never smart enough to realize yeah, have. Really, if I was a pirate seaman slash knight, I would have killed these boys a long time ago. Yes. You would have just like one cement block toss them overboard see yeah, how no one's it? gonna find it we're on the ocean <laughs> yeah and but they weren't supposed to be on the boat they're so not you, on the manifest so you can that just the guy be like, checks with his baton no idea who you're talking about We haven't seen any teenage boys when they get into port though they say two Canadian policemen but we know they're mounties right? They have to be. On I, horses. On horses. <laughs> like they have to come up with gang playing on <laughs> horses. Also, just out of left field. I mean, it's, it's like standard procedure in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Any ship comes in, send the Mounties. Send the Mounties to check it out. And the Mounties, like, they come on board and they're like, are you the lads from Bayport? And the Hardies are like, yes! They're super happy. And the captain's like, well, they're stowaways. Like, right. that matters at But they're still the kids you kidnapped from America. Sure, but just so you know, we only locked him up to teach him a lesson. And then sailed them to Canada, right? Like, yeah, but... I mean, there's some international things happening you here. You should have turned around as soon as you found out there were miners on the, on the yeah, ship. Yeah, take them back. You literally took them out of the country. It's a problem. But uh, but yeah, apparently Chet, who was watching them sneak on board the ship, when he didn't see them jump off as it left the dock, waited a while. Yeah, just to see if they were coming back. <laughs> yeah. Right? But, and then went to the Hardy's house and was like, they're not coming back. Um and then they found out where they were going and, and were able to rescue them. So good old Chet. Um good old chet. But then let's see, they sleep for just a few hours when they get home. You think that they'd sleep for like two days. Yeah, there's surprisingly a huge lack of sleep. For these yeah, teenage boys. They were ju- we were just told that they were barely allowed to get any sleep on the ship. Yeah. And I don't know why, because they passed out from lack of <laughs> oxygen. I feel like that's the best sleep you can have, right? <laughs> that is the deepest sleep, right next to death. This is a great time to check in with Bingo. I've got disguise. I have a horse chase on here, but I feel like Mounties, they weren't chasing each yeah, other. That's we're, true. Yeah, those are, That's multiple people on. I have trespassing. I have trespassing as well. All right, so I, I'm doing all right. Let me see. All right, I, the ba- the boys have left Bayport. I have that one. A plane ride where nothing bad happens. Oh, that's they coming. flew to New York, right? They did nothing bad, and then happened. they flew back. Yeah, okay. So that's two flights already. I do want to start keeping track of. Uh... I've got fist fight. I mean, okay, yeah, there was definitely a fist fight. I also have school. It started with school. This is the uh, the very first time their school has ever appeared. Really? Yeah, at that track meet was the first time. The state, the high school track meet. So are you telling me I am the first to receive the school square? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm feeling. I didn't really even good realize that. that at the time. I'm feeling good about that. But I want to make sure that we have that. I'm keeping track of how many flights they've already taken. Two flights, and then they fly back from Canada, so that's a third flight. And we're only at chapter five, and that's not even counting Fenton Hardy flights. I'm just going to count the boys. Okay. Okay, I'm getting close. All right. So then they, I think this is case number two, because the first case was, we're trying to find out what the heck this boat is up to. Yeah, it was just watch the boat. Watch the boat was case number one. And they blew that entirely by boarding the boat. By boarding the boat. Several (laughs) times. It makes me think of like a Dungeons and Dragons game where the Dungeon Master has a very clear plan for what people are supposed to do, and no one does that. No, then the Dungeon Master's just making things up. Yes. Yeah, and that's what is happening in the story on the fly. Case number two, Mr. Hardy tells the boys I've been engaged by the Reed Museum Association to investigate a series of thefts. Four museums have been robbed within a few days three in the United States and the Abbey Museum here in Montreal. And it turns out that the things that are being stolen are the DeGras collection, items from the DeGras collection, which is the suits of armor. Treasure. It's It's treasure. treasure. It's pirate treasure. It's pirate treasure priceless royal treasures including scepters, crowns, and orbs. Um, which I, you know, you always see the orbs and scepters in treasure cases, but you never see anybody use those for anything. No, they're just for show. Oh, okay. You just walk around holding an orb and they're like, oh, he's rich. <laughs> <Look> <laughs> he's that got orb. an orb. The Hardy, uh, the Hardy Boys quickly make airline reservations and were on their way within the hour. The speed in which they book flights <laughs> would put any website to shame today. Yeah, right? Absolutely. It's like it's like walking up to the train station ticket seller. Right. Uh, they're yeah. also flying from very random small places in Canada <laughs> and the, It seems like air, air travel used to work a lot better than it does now. Yeah, it's TSA's fault. Yeah, absolutely. They've slowed it down. I also, every time they took a flight, <laughs> imagine that these two 17-year-olds are sitting around like... 14 businessmen just chain-smoking cigarettes yes. and drinking martinis. You have to imagine a heavy layer of smoke ever, over everything that happens to the Hardy Boys. Yeah, okay, okay. Especially the airplanes. So they decide they're going to fly to New York immediately. They're going back to New York to check out the Standin museum because it has just been robbed. This is kind of cool. This is something that I don't even need to make fun of the Hardy Boys about because... They straight up have a laser grid in this museum to protect the uh, treasures from being stolen. Yeah, that doesn't get explained until way later. <laughs> in like the book. we just have a laser grid, beams of light crisscross the exhibit room. And yeah, and they're like, "Well, it's it's un it's unbeatable uh, because if anybody steps in the room, it sets off the alarm." Yeah, until we find out later that it's totally, totally beatable. beatable. <laughs> yeah, and very very simple. So, they decide that since there's uh, five museums left that haven't been robbed, they're all going to split up and each go cover a museum, right? Yeah. And act as guards. So, they they rope Chet in. Yeah, Chet, like, they keep giving him chances and then keep letting him down. Yeah, yeah. Right? They're like, Chet, come with us. Never mind, Chet. (laughs) Never mind, Chet. You You can't. You stay here. They want somebody in case a person needs to get badly injured ah that's they're like chet. then it can be chet so he's like guy from galaxy Quest. <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay he's exactly that Chet, got it and then they're like well uh we'll also call sam radley and have him go check out the one in california sam radley is fenton's longtime body man like his his like okay because uh, i had never reading one of these before i was like oh and then sam yeah see, you know that's the thing about sam radley is from his very first appearance that's how these they've handled sam where oh, right. they've been like, like I'll just call my good friend Sam Radley. And maybe in one book, it was like, Sam Radley was an old business acquaintance of Fenton. But sometimes since then, Fenton has gone on like a full week vacation with Sam. And now and Fenton's like, previous employment was as a detective, He right? was a detective for the New York City Police Department. Okay, so Sam's probably a mafioso. Yeah, right? something like that. But either okay. way, it's very clear that they have some sort of relationship. Because frequently they're like, oh... They're like, Mom, where's Dad? And she's like, he left with Sam, not answering their phones. So, obviously, Fenton's been on the take for a long time. Yes. I. One of my theories that comes up a lot is that Fenton is actually a criminal mastermind himself. Yeah. And uses the boys to run interference on his, uh, on his rivals. It makes a lot of sense because, also, Dad's out of town. There's a, a bunch of, like, well, your dad's not here right now. And then all yeah. of a sudden he flies in out of left field. And he so. just shows up. Yeah. He's running a huge organization. They oh they ask if Chet uh if Chet can come and Mister Hardy says do you think he can handle an assignment like this? It's like well he literally just saved your children's lives. Also give him a chance. Yeah. I I have a feeling Chet is the real winner here. He's going to turn into a great person after all of this bullying, after all of this letdown, or a serial killer. Sure, <laughs> he's going you know, to end of up. The I, yeah, he's going to end up as their greatest enemy. <laughs> yeah, right. Like the super villain. he's their Doctor Doom. When Frank alone goes to a museum in Philadelphia and he walks in, they're like, oh, you must be the Hardy Boy. It's so pleasant. it's nice to meet you. Your family's famous. I'm like, he's 18 years old. If an 18-year-old walked into the museum where I work and was, like, asking questions, I'd be like, do you have, like, an adult with you or are you with a school group? Oh, no, no, it's fine. I'm a detective. <laughs> but not for any police department. Oh, then come come right in. Oh, right. Oh, you must be famous, internationally famous. Detective Fenton Hardy's son. Yeah, and they call him Fenton Hardy's son. They yeah. don't know the boy's name at all. No, but they know that he's Fenton Hardy's son. They go to check out the DeGraw collection. Frank almost gets crushed to death by a pillar. Yes, he does. That's attempted, that's murder. attempted that's, murder. That's attempted murder. So if you got that murder. on your bingo, uh, I do. Definitely I do. check that off. I think I got that one as well. Oh, I'm bummed. I don't have... Uh, surfing is on, is on my bingo list, and they don't go surfing in this one. Also, in this museum after a priceless artifact has been shattered on the floor. Right. And Frank's like, someone must've pushed it over. No one's like, did you? Yeah. Did you push it over? Because that's the problem. You showed up. You were the only one in the room. And all we, of a sudden we have smashed artifacts. Right. I and mean, he's like, no, somebody must've been trying to kill me. Which seems very, yeah, unplausible. Like, again, if some kid at the museum, if you walked into a room and there was a bunch, and there was something smashed to pieces on the floor and they were like, Someone pushed it over and tried to crush me with it. You'd be like, "Okay, well, we're gonna, you're gonna have to stay here for yeah. a while while we talk about this, yeah, and try um, to figure out what why you're lying." Yeah, <laughs> you little liar! <laughs> Please don't lie to us. Someone and tried then, to murder me. And then they're uh, and then he, the guy, the member of the staff, is like, "Are you suggesting somebody deliberately toppled the column?" And Frank says that it's a, it's a possibility. And they're like, "Well, why would somebody do that?" And he's like, "I'm not at liberty to say." You're like, okay, child, who's just smashed a priceless <laughs> artifact, you're not at liberty to say, well, I'm not at liberty to tell you why you're being arrested, but I think you can figure it out. They do immediately call the local police, and I kind of wish the police would have showed up and then arrested Frank. I mean, that seems like the most logical thing to do. Yeah, but I love how little information he's willing to give these people who he's trying to protect from being robbed. Yeah, everyone's really playing, keeping their cards <laughs> close to their <laughs> close chest, to it, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> If we all gave each other... All, in, all the information. This mystery would be over. Yeah, we could figure this out. No. Please tell me what you know. There's one man who makes Frank uneasy when he's, de- and he's like, who's that? Because Frank has really good judge of people. Yeah, also, this man was just doing his job. Yeah, he, he was putting away gardening tools in the basement. <laughs> right. And he's, he's like, like, who's like, that?" He's, like, he's like, that's like, our gardener. <laughs> I don't trust him. And it turns out, totally right. Call. Totally right. Yeah. He's got a hunch. Why is Frank's fake being sick? What page? Oh, um, it's to use the phone at the restaurant. Oh yeah, right. What? And the guy who owns the restaurant—he's being followed. Yes, yeah, so and he goes into a to restaurant, restaurant, orders a sandwich, and is like, "Can I use your phone?" No. Oh, I'm sick. Yeah. And then the owner comes out and is like, "I've never made someone sick in my life. How dare you!" It's like it's a really <laughs> weird restaurant you stumbled into. Also, it was early in the day, but they're like, "We're closing down. <laughs> we only have sandwiches." I love all of this so much and then he's like okay well then somebody call me a taxi and they're like okay somebody call this cab this kid a cab and get him out of here yeah so he doesn't use the phone ever his (laughs) plan to be sick to use the telephone didn't really pan out but he does get a taxi and they put him in a taxi and uh he's like take me back to that museum (laughs) <laughs> yeah. But he just says, take me to the museum. And he's in Philadelphia. I'm pretty sure there's a lot. <laughs> know. There's several museums there. <laughs> Her cab driver's just like, all right, I'm going to pick a museum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's go to Constitution Hall. <laughs> Independence Hall? I think I, it's I Independence Hall. Okay. Yeah, and so then he goes to check on the guards. And the guards are like, oh, I haven't been robbed yet. But then there's a, a, a hiss of gas. Yeah, this gas is super effective. It <laughs> just like <laughs> it fills a large museum space, knocks everyone out. Even though there's, they said we only have four guards and yeah. this eighteen year old. Yeah, knocks them all out. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if Frank has ever been gassed before. That might be a new one. That's kind of. I nice. might add that to the bingo. Well, it's I mean, he's been to knock the dentist. That's true, probably. Yeah, but it's like the old twenties, thirties. So like. So chloroform? I <laughs> think yeah, that's what they do at the dentist. <laughs> Emily, yeah, well, they've then. definitely been chloroformed before. A sweet-smelling rag is always like, a rag, he's like, I smelled something, smelled something sweet so as <laughs> a rag was put over let his let me smell. <laughs> <laughs> Woke up and they're like, something strange about that rag, give it to me again. <laughs> and then at the crime scene, the they find a, like a, a cutoff when, when they all wake up and the police are there and all the artifacts are stolen. There's a short piece of rope and... He show uh Frank shows it to the police officer. He says, "Do you mind if I keep this for a while?" And the cop is like, "Sure. <laughs> yeah. We might need it back, but you just take that. We're going to fingerprint all this stuff, but please grab that with your hands." Yeah, and he takes it with it. <laughs> doesn't put it in an evidence bag and he's like, "Hey, he's like, "All right. Hey, we'll let you know if you if you find anything and hey, we might call you and need that piece of rope back." And he's like, "Okay, cool." Does that rope ever come back into play? It does later when they're oh. looking at it. They say, This rope looks like it was cut by seamen. Oh, yeah, they're like. Cut really straight. (laughs) Because only sailors can cut rope straight. Why is he allowed to take it? He's a hardy boy. Dug. He's a hardy boy who's not even in his own hometown. These aren't the Bayport police. These, This is the Philadelphia police department. Also, there's no grogginess after this gas. <laughs> no. He, he came like, up, like, really together. It's one of those, like, in a like in an action movie where a character's lying on their back and they, like, leap up onto their feet. Yeah. That's what he did. And then I imagine all the, the other guards. he spotted rope on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And the other guards were like, oh. Also these pirates are idiots. They yeah. are only st- like they're breaking into museums successfully. Yes. But and then only stealing, stealing only terrible crap that they have an af- affinity towards. Right? Yes. They should have stolen the most valuable things as well as the things. Yeah, why not? You've already won. Right. And also it would have like made it harder to figure out which museums were going to get robbed or what they're after. Yeah, if they would have tried to like they should have picked something else. Like they steal one diamond. Yeah. And just then that one. maybe could have financed some of the, uh, the operation. Maybe then you could have private jets, pirates. So they all, all of, uh, let's see, Chet and Sam and, uh, Sam just telephones from California. He has, he had trouble getting an airline reservation and won't be here till tomorrow morning. Because those Hardy Boys keep getting <laughs> him so fast, no one else in the country is able to do it. There's a whole operator switchboard that's just the Hardy Boys getting, uh, getting airline but they uh they decide they're going to go watch the black parrot again but this time they're just going to observe it from a distance are they because that was the first thing they were supposed that's to do that's what she told us to do last like the time they seem to be having trouble like they have really itchy trigger fingers when it comes to rushing on board boats that are obviously international boats and then oh, okay so they, he so he flew to Philadelphia uh huh And then he also flew back from Philadelphia. Uh Uh-huh. And then they're now flying back to Canada. Right. Because uh, that's where the black parrot is going to be docked. Yeah. Also, these pirates should dock in a new port every now and then. Yes. Just like mix it up. Don't pick the same two ports. Don't leave a paper trail. Right? (laughs) Oh, they make a bunch of fat jokes at Chet, just to be mean. And uh, they talk to somebody about the black parrot. Or they overhear some people talking about it and how everyone on board the black parrot is a dick. Yeah. They o- they overhear this at like the hotel or at the yeah, like restaurant, a diner. and two longshoremen come in just raving about this. Yeah, idiot. they're like, I don't like those parrot ships. The black parrot. Those guys are jerks. And the one thing I can believe is that sailors talk at a decibel that's just like slightly too loud for yeah, normal conversation. They're so they're used to really the easy, of the ocean, yeah. easy to overhear them. When they get to the the waterfront, and they see the black parrot. Uh, there's people loading aboard what looks like piles of logs. And on the side of a vehicle is the name Norland Lumber Company. And then rather than staying and doing their plan, which is watch the ship, they decide we're going to follow that logging truck now. Also, this seems like a really not clue. Not clue. You're loading lumber onto a ship. Yeah. You're like, well, let's the, the ship is the focus. But they get distracted by this logging truck. And they decide, okay, so it's front there's a lumber mill. It's a closed down lumber mill that's yeah, apparently run. run on rough times. Yeah, so I think of I'm thinking like Scooby Doo, you know, yeah. like abandoned mill outside of town. And they're like, Well, let's go out there. Why? Also, we yeah. haven't even talked about the cost of them renting cars in every place oh, they've yeah. been. To, yeah, they're constantly right? renting vehicles. They've got a car that no one's driving them around in, so right. they obviously rented it. These just rich, rich boys. Or maybe they're like Batman in that, like, they just have a bat... Like, when you go to Detroit and Batman's like, oh, there's a bat cave in Detroit. Yeah, or perhaps they bought an extra seat on each of these chart- <laughs> chartered planes for their car to <laughs> ride with them. Just sitting sitting up in the seats. <laughs> they drive out. They get a flat tire. So that's then huge that's, for the deductible on the rental car. Right, that's exactly. huge. Yeah, and then also... But, the spare tire in the rental car is flat. Is, yeah, also flat. So. so, I mean, maybe it evens out. Maybe they won't, uh, they won't charge them for that because that's sort of on them. Let's hope.
1: Yeah, let's
0: hope. I don't really know how it works. But, yeah, so they find, they decide they're just going to walk through the darkness towards this lumber mill. They've decided that this is now their goal. Right. And the most important thing is to figure out what's going on in this lumber mill. Right, I think he's like, oh, I think it's at least a mile away.
1: It's like, well, you don't know.
0: You've never been here, Let's Joe. walk through the woods in Canada towards a lumber mill. And um, then they fall in a hole. Canada is synonymous with just random holes. So they just fall through the dirt into a tunnel. Yeah, I feel like this was probably like a lion trap or like a tiger trap or something I don't know, without but they the spikes. Up in a tunnel full of people that are like, we've got visitors. Yeah. Also, way to hide your secret tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, didn't, he didn't dig it deep enough. I just don't understand any of this. Like, why they went out there. Why I'm glad they you're felt saying this. Because this is my first Hardy Boys book, I was confused most, most of the way through. Most of the through. way through. Yeah, I guess that's pretty standard. Let's see. The guys are armed. hmm And they ask what they're doing. And Chet just says sightseeing. And then they're like, the fat one's a comedian. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. This is a child. Yeah, take it easy on Chet. Everyone is ripping on Chet. And then one of them recognizes him and they're like these are the kids from the uh, from the black parrot that we threw off the ship. they like, "Oh, oh. Well, let's let them go again." <laughs> <laughs> they take him to the shack and they tie them up cuz there's a shack. Oh right. right. And then and then Then they the set most... the shack on fire. No, they don't. It's, uh, it's like an, an accident. The, somehow the car as the it starts sparks the from sparks. The... Yeah. Like, I have seen old-timey cars, and I don't remember you having to light something. <laughs> like a wig, Start them right. <laughs> yeah. But there's, like, a shower of sparks when the truck engine starts. And uh, the red-hot particles land on some tri-brush, and smoke appeared, and then flames. And I was like... it's It felt like they were trying to soften the pirates a little bit they're like well they're not murderers they're negligent right right so it'll be inadvertent murder but it seems like this truck would have started fires plenty of times before yeah Yeah, especially especially if our canadian forest is just dry dry kindling how do they get out of the they just get out no a helicopter appears from (laughs) you know with their dad on it like already ready what the hell what the hell? The crew members are like, we reached you just in time. What were you doing in the middle of a forest fire? And I'm like, whoa, it's already a forest fire? Also, they were tied up, and it doesn't really... It, it explains that they were tied up, and then after they get out of the shack, they find a sharp rock. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't explain how they left the shack tied, tied up. tied up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, just, did, you, did you just tie their hands? <laughs> it says a couple times they rolled to the door, and then they all exited. Yeah. Like, roll out of the door are you all tied together but apparently somebody spotted the fire and called the police somebody who was like had their eyes glued on that shack i mean with an instance to call the air force have them arrive in under a minute let's see so it turns out that uh some people were arrested in montreal so fenton's gonna go to montreal to interrogate those three men which i like to think he's gonna just just beat them he just beats them he chased him onto a train. There was a fight on the top of a train. Then he threw the guy off of a train. That guy ended up in the hospital. And just before he died, from the wounds of fighting Fenton Hardy on a train, he gives Fenton, like, the last little clue that he needs to solve the I crime. I mean, it was a good time to be a P.I. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. about a hundred years ago was, like, the prime time yeah. to be a you private detective. you could do detective. anything. Killing people, but still getting the clues. Absolutely. I'm trying to remember let's see they, they decide now they're going to go sneak onto the yellow parrot. Is that here or do they yes because everyone on the black parrot already, already knows, knows them. them and they don't they're like well what if they like share a crew or sometimes switch crews and they're like no they don't. No they take this huge risk they're like well it's really rare that these ships would have been close to each other. Oh, that's right. Let's take this massive risk of that almost murder. they don't radio each other and be like, Hey, there's two teenage boys that just snuck on board our ship. If they show up on your ship... I think it's the really famous, world-renowned Hardy Boys? <laughs> might have been. Might have been. They go to check out the yellow parrot. They see it tied to the pair. They're in Port Manthan. I think they do another flight, actually, after this. So, forest fire. Helicopter. Flight, helicopter flight. But they talk to an old man who uh, is like, you interested in ships? And they're like, oh, yeah, I thought we'd look at some ships. So there's, I've got a vagrant with, with mental health issues. Is this I, is this Captain Fallop or are you talking about Katu? Uh Either one. <laughs> okay. I'm thinking both of these could fit that. Okay, so great. we'll get to the next person that's potentially a, a vagrant man with mental health issues. But this, I just want to flag this as... Possibly, possibly uh, this guy. I can't even remember what Captain Fallop's whole connection is. He just lives on the dock. It seems like to spout exposition. He was an old sailor that wanted to come watch the repairs on the hole that was caused by a rock. Said the ship. Yeah, but he was like, it looks like a huge hole shot by shells. Yes, like the ship has been shelled at some point. We never. Just spoilers. We never find out. No, they said something at the very end. They're like, wait, what happened with that hole? And they're like, oh, that was in the hundred pages that were cut out after we revised this book. Oh, cool, cool, cool. See you next time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the Hardy Boys. In the Hardy Boys. <laughs> but they do mention, yeah, there's one little paragraph where like, and a smuggler fired upon it and then snuck off. And then they, uh, that part of the story wasn't important. So. We and just- I just really want to know the smuggler who's trying to quietly move things from place to place, but also <laughs> fire firing on any ship they see. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Today's episode had so much ridiculous stuff in it that Brian and I talked for a little bit too long for one episode. I decided to split it up into two. Tune in soon for part two of The Hardy Boys Drink Book number 18, The Twisted Claw, featuring Brian Cusick.